glad to have all of our live churches with us today, all of our network churches, those of you on the other side of computer screens at Church Online. I believe that you are not there by accident, but it's in God's purpose and plan that you're here today. And I just want to tell you, we're launching into a brand new three-part message series called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And I know if you're like me, there's not a week that goes by that when you look at things going on in current events, maybe when you look at things going on in your own life, there's so much pain, so much heartache, so much confusion in this world that it's really, really easy to look on and say, I don't like the way that's going. And that's what I wanna talk about for the next three, three weeks when we see things that don't really make sense. And I will tell you going into this message series, this is a really good time to invite somebody that may have walked away from their faith because they were hurt by circumstances or someone is going through a really difficult time. This is a perfect time to invite them. I also wanna tell you and just kind of warn you as we walk into this three-part message series that many of you are not going to like this message series. This doesn't feel real good. Uh, it's not hilarious. There's not a lot of tweetable little things you can say. There's no practical steps. It's simply not a, a feel-good message at all. There are no easy answers. And so just wanted to tell you that so you'd be really glad you came to church today and say, I'm thrilled to be here. But the reality is sometimes life is very, very difficult. And what we're going to do in this series, we're going to look at three different stories from the New Testament. We're going to look at one today where God seems inattentive. We're going to look at one next week where God seems late. And in week three, we're going to look at a message that's my favorite in the series. Week three is when God seems uncooperative. I also want to give credit to um, Andy Stanley. He's a pastor, very good friend of mine in the Atlanta area uh, for the idea behind this series. Andy, about four years ago, taught on a similar theme. I'm obviously going to make it my own, but he came up with this idea. And uh, I listen to Andy and one other preacher every single week. If you want a good additional kind of spiritual um, meal every week, listen to Andy Stanley. Uh, if you want some leadership ideas, Andy and I actually teach six leadership events in six different cities together every year, and he's got an amazing leadership podcast I'd recommend to you as well. But I wanted to give him credit for the idea behind this series, and I want to dive in and just kind of acknowledge that there are many times when God doesn't make sense. Uh, truth is that a lot of people can make it even more difficult for you when you hear their stories about how amazing God is. You might be dealing with something really challenging, and you're praying for a miracle, and your friend in your life group comes and he goes, you won't believe it! I was Black Friday shopping, and I pulled up, and God gave me the perfect parking spot. Oh, glory! You're like, happy for you. Hashtag, you make me sick. You know, I've got real problems, and you do that. And then you hear, you know, like the amazing preacher stories, because all of us preachers, we have the amazing, miracle, perfect preacher stories that just wow you with how God always does exactly what we need. And then, uh, like the time I was on an airplane, because every good preacher story starts on an airplane. And I was sitting next to a crack-smoking palm reader. And she said, do you mind if I read your palm? And I said, thouest may, because I always speak in King James when I'm <laughs> witnessing to people. And she grabbed my palm and said, you're, the lines in your hand, they actually form a cross. And I said, that's because Jesus, my Savior, died on a cross for me. She said, there's unusual heat coming from your hands. I said, that's the love of God 
made himself manifest for you. I led her to Christ right there on the plane. The pilot overheard it, came out, asked about Jesus. I led him to Christ. He got so excited, he turned the plane around, flew over the 1040 window. We all parachuted out into an unreached people group. I preached and led them all to the Lord. And now some of the tribal elders serve as the executive directors of the Billy Graham Association. And all glory goes to God for his goodness. in every single way, right? I mean, that's how the, the preacher stories go. And, and you, you see your friends a lot of times and everything seems to be going well for them and they're, they're blessed and they're not even serving Jesus the way you are. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm more faithful <laughs> and they're getting blessed and I'm not. All of our churches, how many of you would say, honestly, there seems to be a time when you were praying and it didn't really seem like God was listening. It seemed like God wasn't doing what you knew he could do or God's timing wasn't your timing. How many would say that's true for you? Be honest, raise your hands. The good news is you're not alone. The bad news is sometimes God doesn't make sense from our perspective. What I wanna to do today is raise the question, what do we do when God seems inactive? What do we do when God seems silent? What happens when you're praying and you don't hear anything, you don't sense that God is with you? I'd love for you to write this down if you're taking notes. A thought we're gonna to internalize today, and that is this. Just because God is silent doesn't mean God is absent. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he is absent. Just because you don't hear him doesn't mean he doesn't hear you. Just because you don't feel his presence doesn't mean that he is not with you. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that he is absent. And to illustrate this principle today, we're gonna to look in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter six, and we're gonna look at a very difficult story about John the Baptist. Now, some of you may not have grown up around church and you don't know who John the Baptist is. Let me give you a little context. I'm gonna to explain to you kind of what happened, and then I'm gonna show you in the Bible what happened. If you don't know who John the Baptist was, he was actually Jesus's cousin. okay? He was the cousin of Jesus, and he was a crazy prophet. This guy, he preached fierce. He's here to prepare the way for the Lord. He's preaching, repent of your sins and be baptized. He wore animal skins. Okay, imagine a guy, pre imagine me preaching in animal skins. That makes you a cockier preacher. He ate locust, who does that? Wild honey. He didn't take mm -hmm, off of anybody. And so the common people really liked him because he didn't put up with anything. In fact, there was kind of a massive scandal in, uh, in society and he got up into the king's business to correct them. And this is the story I wanna show you today. Uh, king Herod Antipas was the king and uh, Herod Antipas was married to a woman, but suddenly Herod Antipas took an interest in his brother's wife. Everybody go, ooh. That wasn't very good at all. Someone in Henderson will go, ooh, you can do it better. Ooh, okay, so he's married. He takes an interest in his brother's wife. And what did he do? Well, King Herod actually divorced his wife and married his brother's wife. Her name was Herodias. Hopefully she was better looking than her name implied. 
and scandal broke out, okay? You know, the king marries his brother's wife. Well, John the Baptist gets all up in the king's business and said, you shouldn't be doing this. So Herodias, the wife, hated John the Baptist, okay? I just told you the story. Now I want to read it to you, and it'll make more sense as we read uh, in Scripture. Mark 6, verse 17 through 19, okay? For Herod, this is the king, Herod Antipas, for Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias. Remember, this is, the, this is the other woman, his new wife. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. Now, why did he do this? Because John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So, John the Baptist is all up in the king's business. Don't do this. Verse 19. So Herodias, the wife, nursed a grudge against John and wanted to do what? Somebody say it aloud. He wanted to, she wanted to kill him. Okay. That's why you don't mess with women. Okay. <laughs> They're pretty and they smell good, but if you cross them, some of them will cut you. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. I got about 15 funny things I'd like to say, but because they'll cut you, I'm just going to back off and call it what it is, okay? So Herod just has him arrested. She wants to kill him, and it goes on to say, but she was not able to because, why? Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and a holy man. So what do we have? We've got Herod, the king, who has him arrested because Herodias, his wife, is really angry. He doesn't kill John the Baptist because he actually says, I think this is a, probably a man of God. If you look at this from a distance, here's the context. We've got John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, preaching on behalf of Jesus. My only mission, John would say, is to prepare the way of the Lord. He preaches fiercely, repent and be baptized. Turn away from your sins. He says, I am unworthy to even untie the sandals of Jesus. He says, I must decrease, Jesus must increase. Whenever someone wanted to follow John, he said, don't follow me, follow Jesus. John the Baptist faithfully served Jesus. He's in prison for doing what is right, and Jesus didn't come to rescue him. What? That didn't make sense, okay? I don't know about you, but if I'm John, I'm thinking, you're my cousin, okay? You're my cousin. I've been serving you. I've been trying to stay in the background, I'm doing everything for you. Now I'm in prison. Surely you're gonna break me out. You're gonna come and do some of that Jesus power stuff, poof, you know, chains fall off, guards die. It'd be amazing, okay? Jesus doesn't do it. What do you think John felt? What do you think he felt? Do you think he's like, his faith just was unwavering? Or do you think he had his doubts? Let's take a vote, just for fun. All of our churches, nobody wimp out, it's no fun without you, okay? How many think he, he probably stayed strong in his faith? Raise your hands up, raise your hands up, excellent. How many think he, he, he wavered, he wavered? How many say, I am abstaining, I have no idea where this is going, okay? <laughs> God bless you, thank you for your honesty, right? Now, John the Baptist is human, he's human. He was serving Jesus and Jesus didn't bail him out. And he started to have his doubts. John the Baptist started to have his doubts. How do we know this? Well, another gospel, not Mark where we're reading, but Matthew's gospel gives us insight to his emotions. Matthew 11 verses two and three says this. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. Now let's stop there. How, how did he hear? We're not totally sure. 
We're guessing probably some of the disciples came to visit John in prison. So you can imagine John's in prison and a Jesus follower comes to visit him. He's like, oh, is Jesus coming? Is Jesus coming? Is Jesus coming? And the guy says, let me tell you what Jesus is doing, what he's doing, what he's doing. And he starts talking about miracles. He's like, yeah, Jesus did this thing and cast a demon out of a boy. And Jesus made deaf ears open up. And the first miracle Jesus did was turn water into wine. Water into wine, okay? I'm John, and I'm thinking to myself, he's doing party tricks, and he's not saving me, okay? Then I'm asking, what kind of wine was it? Because that's the miracle that's given Baptist problems for centuries. You know, real wine must have been unfermented, non-alcoholic wine. Surely it was. John the Baptist, John the Baptist. Wasn't John the Episcopal. They'd be like, glory to God. Anyway, so... So, <laughs> so I've been doing this all weekend long. I just got to have some fun. Okay. When John was in prison, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples to ask Jesus. Okay. So here's uh, Jesus is doing all these miracles. So he says, hey, go ask Jesus this for me. And here's what he says. Go ask Jesus. Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? What is that? That's doubt. I thought you were the one. I was pretty sure you were the one. I was preaching that you were the one. But because I'm in here and you're out there and you're not doing anything about being in here, I'm not so sure you're the one anymore. Are you the one or should we expect someone else? Then in verse four, Jesus replies. And let me tell you what Jesus does not say. Jesus doesn't say, oh, tell him I just haven't gotten to him yet. Tell him I've been really busy doing miracles, but I'm gonna come there and do that magic power stuff. Or I'm sending Peter and Thomas and Peter's coming with a sword and Peter's gonna cut some heads off and we're gonna break out at midnight. We've just been planning the, 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 the prison break. He doesn't say any of that. Instead, this is how Jesus replies. John says, are you the one or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, the mission of God is being moved forward. Go tell them all the good news. And then Jesus says, tell them this, blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. Okay, I'm excited about all those, you know, people being healed and all that stuff, and I'm excited about the good news being preached. But you tell me, blessed if I don't stumble while I'm waiting here in prison on you to get me out. And you didn't even come and tell me this yourself. You sent a messenger to tell me that. It's like when someone group texts you, something personal, like, you couldn't even text me, you had to group text me, okay? You didn't even come and tell me this yourself. And John evidently starts to doubt. Are you the one? What happened next? Well, the king threw a big keg party. I don't, know if it was a keg, I don't know if they had kegs or not, but he, he threw a let's all get drunk party. And everybody got drunk. They're all drunk. He loves everybody. I love you, man. You're my best friend. You're my best friend. We're all my best friends. You know, they're all drunk. And if you think the story's weird, it gets weirder. I mean, like, it's really weird now, okay? So Herod Anibus is drunk. His wife, Herodias' daughter, is named Salome. She's a teenager. And she does a dance. The king loves the dance. We don't know what kind of dance it was. Okay, in the purity of my pastoral mind, I'm assuming it was probably a ballet dance. She's on point, got a little tutu, and she's amazing. 
Okay? It may not have been. She may have been twerking. I don't know if they twerked <laughs> in the first century thing. She may have been dancing with a pole. I don't know what it was, okay? But whatever it was, the drunk guy, oh, this is amazing. It's the best dance I've ever seen. Oh, that's such a good dance. I'll give you anything you want, you, whatever you want. And what is he doing? He's showing off. He's the king. He's drunk, and he's, I'll, I'll, I'll give you anything you want. And he's thinking, she's a teenager. What's she going to want? A new iPhone? Give me a pony. I want two tickets to a Justin Bieber concert. You know, he's thinking something like that. She goes to her mom and says, well, what do I ask for? What does Herodias the cut you lady say? Okay, I want the head of John the Baptist. Go ask him for the head of John the Baptist. So he's stuck, okay? He just bragged and gave his word. So if you don't know the story, this is how it goes. He said, go and execute John the Baptist. And right as the executioner was about to behead John the Baptist, the earth shook and a giant earthquake came. And seven angels of the Lord appeared with flaming swords and struck everybody blind except for Herodias and said, you have to watch this, as he gave everybody hemorrhoids up there on the spot. And then suddenly the angel came in and swooped the swords and the prison door threw open and the shackles fell off. And as the music began to swell and the smoke began to rise, John the Baptist stepped out. His face was painted blue and he yelled, freedom! <laughs> right? That's how I'd have done it. I mean, I'm telling you. He looked like Mel Gibson in the whole thing, man. I mean, he's coming out. And he's like, it's amazing. And then, go with me in the American version of Christianity. Then he gets given the keys to the city. And he gets a raise. And he gets a perfect home in the suburbs. And he marries, you know how he loves to dress in animal skins? He marries a smoking hot animal skin model. This is how it happens. This is what God does. And then they have children and they have a cat <laughs> named Herodias. Boom, take that, right? That's how we want it to happen, right? That's the American version of Christianity when you always get the promotion, you always get a better car, you always get a better house, and you're never ever sick. Because God is here to serve us, right? It's all about us, right? God exists to serve us, right? God is here to make our lives better, right? That's the purpose of God, isn't it? Here's what happens. Verse 26. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner gifts, he did not want to refuse her. So immediately he sent an, angel, an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. One more time. The man went, beheaded John in prison and brought back his head on a platter. Now, if I can be real honest and you don't get mad at me and call me a heretic, I don't like the ending to that story. I'm guessing John wasn't going, like, that's the way I planned it, right? That didn't make sense. I, I do not like that. What do you do when God seems inactive? What do you do when God seems silent? 
What do you do when God doesn't make sense? Okay. If we take a step back from this, which I think we need to do, and let's ask ourselves this, okay, a couple thousand years later, what was John the Baptist's greatest desire? What was his purpose? What was his calling? To prepare the way for the Lord. Did he accomplish that? He actually did. Okay. What was God's purpose? To send his son to die on the cross that we might have an opportunity to be forgiven. Did God accomplish his purpose? Yes, he did. Okay. So we can agree that even what John the Baptist wanted was accomplished. He just didn't like the way it was accomplished. God's purpose ended up being fulfilled. It just wasn't according to John's plan. Can we agree? God's purpose was fulfilled. It just wasn't according to John's plan. Proverbs 19.21 is a verse that's ministered to me for years. It says, many are the what? Somebody help me out. Many are the plans in a person's heart. But it's the Lord's what? It's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans. You see, there are so many times when we're going to say, this is what I think should happen. This is the way it should play out. This is the way, if I were God, I would do it. This is my plan. Many are the plans in a man's heart, in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. I'll tell you how this um, is playing out in my life right now. And I'll tell you just very transparently, there's a situation that's been um, painful for my family. It, on the scale of how horrible things are, it's not up here. Some of you all have this up here, and I acknowledge that. This is more kind of middle level, but if you're a parent, you would understand our pain. My 17-year-old uh, my daughter, Anna, my third daughter, is just precious to me. I am crazy about this girl. She's brilliant. She's godly. She's beautiful. She um, served Jesus as faithfully and with more passion than um, most of any age, and uh, she's so faithful. Well, she used to be a dancer, and dancing was her dream. The reason I say she used to be a dancer is because 26 months ago, we were at my campus, and Amy asked her to go pick up Joy, our youngest from Life Kids. And so Anna walked across the lobby with the stained concrete um, floors, and evidently someone had spilled some water, and just walking to pick up Joy, she slipped on the water and messed up her knee pretty severely. And so she was not able to dance, and we thought, you know, six, eight weeks, things would be better, and when it didn't get better, we tried some therapy, and then we tried some... Um, doctors, and then we turned up the prayers and prayed like crazy, praying, 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 getting all our prayer warriors to pray, 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 went to the best doctors, had the most amazing care, did the injections, then did the surgeries, then did more injections and more therapy, and 26 months later, she's still in pain, can't walk for very long without the knee swelling up, and still can't dance, okay? So, as a parent, I hate that hate that. But I'm not in despair. It's not my plan, but I honestly trust God's purpose. I've seen his faithfulness, and I believe in his faithfulness. One of the reasons is because something similar happened to me. My dad was a pro baseball player, minor league pro baseball, and so he raised me to play baseball, and I had probably a pretty decent chance of doing something in baseball, um, was most likely heading to college and maybe beyond, I went um, before I was going to pitch in a championship game the night before I went to take a few swings in a batting cage, took the first pitch inside, jammed me, and crushed and shattered my hand. 
And so I wasn't able to pitch the next day. Okay, years later, no big deal. When you're that age, you know, championship game, you're pitching like, it's the worst thing ever, devastated. Where is God? This isn't fair. This isn't fair. Then, for whatever reason, it got in my mind, and I was actually afraid to get in the box, and I was always hesitant, and I was stepping out, and I just couldn't hit, and I was so devastated because I was a good batter, and now I'm afraid, and I was letting my dad down, and I had all these emotions of not being good enough for him, and so I took, decided to take a year off and play another sport, and I just tried something, and I ended up making it. I was so afraid to go back and fail, I took up another sport my freshman year of high school and managed in four years to actually get a college scholarship. Well, I went to this other school I never would have gone to in a million years where I ended up meeting Christ and my life was transformed. At the end of my college years, I met Amy and we ended up falling madly in love and six kids later, we're still going strong and that led us into the ministry. And so here I am today preaching a message when God doesn't make sense and I can trace it all back to the event that I never ever wanted to happen but God's used it to bring about his purpose in my life. It wasn't according to my plan, it was the worst thing I could have imagined, but God's purpose prevailed. So, when I look at Anna, my precious 17-year-old dancer who cannot dance, I do not fear. Just because this didn't go according to our plan, I now wonder how is God gonna use this to fulfill his purpose? What's he doing, what's he doing? How are we gonna see his goodness? Because I have learned that I do not, don't miss this, I do not, and you should never, interpret the goodness of God through our circumstances. Instead, we interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. Don't miss that. We don't ever interpret, is God good based on my circumstances? We interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. My faith is not in our plan. My faith is in God's purpose. Whenever you think, what's the plan? What's the plan? What's the plan? God may say, now's the time to trust my purpose. Trust my purpose, because this is how good our God is. Our God, Romans 8:28. Our God is so good that he works in all things to bring about what? If you know it, say it aloud. To bring about good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose purpose. I don't understand the plan, but I trust God's purpose. I don't understand the plan, but I trust God's purpose. In fact, you can write that down if you want to. You don't have to understand the plan to trust in God's purpose. So, you've got a higher level pain right now. You don't have the financial resources, and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, and that is horrible. You're praying for someone who's sick, and they're not getting better. That's horrible. You're praying for a relationship to get better and the person continues to go the other way and it devastates you. You've got migraines and you've prayed and you've been a doctor after doctor and you can't seem to get it fixed. You can't figure out why, 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 why. You don't have to understand, you only have to like the plan and you can still trust God's purpose, his character, his goodness. He is always good, he is only good. He cannot be anything but good. Our God is good, and Jesus experienced this himself. You think that we're better or immune to hard times? Jesus himself, who knew what was coming on the cross, knelt down in the Garden of Gethsemane and called out to God, Father, if there's any other way, please remove this cup of suffering. He knew what was coming on the cross, and essentially, this is what Jesus prayed. Essentially, he prayed, Father, I don't like this plan, but may your purpose come to pass. 
That's what he prayed. Not my will, but your will be done. And you know what mankind did to Jesus is they beat him senseless. Senseless. Until he didn't even look like a human being. They lashed him on the back until his internal organs were exposed. They stripped him naked and, and, and put him on a cross and drove stakes through his wrist and through his feet and hung him to be exposed and shamed as they spit on him and, and mocked him. And you know what Jesus did? Uh, right before his death, he looked up to heaven at one point and he cried out, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? In other words, why do you seem silent? Why do I feel you right now? Why do I see you doing something? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just because God is silent does not mean God is absent. Just because you don't understand in the moment doesn't mean that God isn't still good, isn't still doing something. Because everything in our Christian faith hangs on that moment when God seemed inactive. And yet God was hurting even more than Jesus was as he watched his son endure everything he did on the cross. Why? For us, so that his purpose could be fulfilled, that we might have forgiveness and a chance to know God by the grace and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So the next time you feel like I don't understand, you're not alone. Jesus looked up to God and said, why? Just because God is silent does not mean he is absent. You don't have to understand the plan. You don't have to like the plan to trust that his purpose will be fulfilled. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that is fulfilled. We don't have to understand to trust his goodness. Just because he seems absent, just because he seems silent, does not mean that he is not with us because our God will never leave us and he will never forsake us. So no matter what you're going through today, even if he seems silent, it does not mean he is absent. We will continue to interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God and not vice versa because God, you alone are always good. At all of our churches, I'd ask you to join me in prayer. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to people today because God, I know so many are hurting and so many are facing situations that they simply don't understand. Would you do a work, God, in a way that only you can to bring healing in our lives? At all of our churches right now, I just wanna see a show of hands in a moment of those of you who would say, don't raise them yet, but you think about it. There's something in your life that doesn't make sense, something you don't understand. It could be a, uh, a physical sickness in, in your life or somebody you love. It might be, might be a, a career challenge. It might be a financial obstacle. It might be that you're facing persecution in some way. It might be that there's relational tension. It could be any number of different things. And you say, yes, there's something that doesn't make sense and I need God's help and faith to trust his purpose. If that's you today, would you lift up your hands right now, all of our churches and say, yeah, there's something like that in my life. And there's so many people. Father, I wanna, I wanna start by praying for miracles because I know you're a miraculous God, that you could do all things, that everything is possible for you, God. So I pray for I pray for financial miracles, God, for those who are hurting and need employment. I pray you'd open up doors and open up the windows of heaven as you're their provider and bless them, God. I pray for miracles. that would be obvious it comes from you. God, I thank you that you're a healing God, that Jesus is a great physician. We pray for supernatural, physical miracles in bodies, God, that it would be so obvious this could only be from God. God, you brought about healing. God, we pray for relationships to be restored, marriages to be healed. God, for parental and, and children relationships 
uh, to find healing and forgiveness and grace. God, we pray for every type of miracle, knowing you're a miraculous God. And God, when for whatever reason you don't do what we think you should do and we know you could do, we ask for the grace to trust your heart, to trust your purpose, even when we don't understand and don't like the plan. God, I pray today that your presence would bring comfort, that as we cast our cares upon you, God, that you would minister to us in a supernatural way, that you would guard our hearts and our minds and our souls in Christ Jesus. God, for those who maybe have been mad at you or walked away from you for a season because of something that happened, I pray, God, that we would not interpret your goodness through our circumstances, but God, we would interpret our circumstances through your goodness, trusting in you. God, give us the grace to trust in your purpose, even when we do not understand the plan. As you keep praying today at all of our churches, nobody looking around, there are some of you right now, you, you are, you're, you're hurting so much in life, you, you're so low that you don't know what to do. This is just my opinion, so take it for what it's worth, but it's my opinion. I believe there are times when God may allow us to get to a place where we're so low, where we have nowhere else to look but up. Maybe that's why you're hurting today, because you need to look up and call on him. There are others of you, you're on the top, man, you're killing it. You're, you're making money, you're having fun, you're doing everything you've always wanted to do, and yet there's, a, there's an aching on the inside, there's a longing, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a sense that there must be something more. You have everything you wanted, and yet there's, you want something more. Let me tell you what, God may have allowed you to have everything you want, to recognize that you don't have everything you need. You need him. You need him. When we talk about a God that doesn't make sense, let me, talk, let me tell you about a God that doesn't make sense. A God that loved us, loved you so much that he became one of us in the person of Jesus, willing to die in our place so that we could be forgiven, shedding his blood on the cross, being raised from the dead three days later so that anyone, and that includes you, anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how dark your life feels, no matter how bad you've been, anyone, who calls on his name would be saved. Jesus, when you call on his name, all of your sins are forgiven. The old is gone and the new has come and there are those of you, you are here for this moment. You may be on the bottom and all you can do is look up. You may be on the top and you're still empty. It's time to look up. It's time to look toward Jesus and say, I need you, I need your grace, I need your forgiveness. At all of our churches, there are those of you, this is why you're here and you know it. It's your time. Why is this happening? It's so that you would meet the grace and the love of a God who sent his son for you. All of our churches, you say, that's me. I need Jesus. I need his forgiveness today. I give my life to him. Today, by faith, I surrender my life. That's your prayer. Lift your hands high right now. All of our churches and say, yes. That's my prayer. Lift your hands and say, yes. I surrender right back over here, over here as well. God bless you guys. Others of you right here in this section saying yes. Right back here toward the back. Over here toward the back as well. God bless you guys. Others today who say, yes, Jesus, I need you. I surrender to you. Church online, would you click right below me? I would love it if all of you would pray aloud with those around you. Pray, Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. Jesus, be my Savior, the Lord of my life. Forgive me of all my sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit so I could follow you every day of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray.
Would you worship big, worship loud, welcome those born into God's family today.